Well, welcome. Thank you for being here. A few visitors we have with us. We appreciate you being here today. And for obviously all of our regular tenders and members, we just really appreciate your presence here and your prayers. It's been been powerful. All right. So thank you again for being here today. I want to continue to talk about some things that we've been talking about over the past summer. And we've been talking about a lot of the things that are going to happen in the end times. And um, today we're going to be talking about three godly judgments that are going to happen. And, and so why, why do I speak about the end times? Is it just because I have nothing else to think about? Um, sometimes I think that. But no, that's, that's not why I think about it. Because I really think that it's only as we understand our future can we really appreciate the purpose of we, that we have today. We have to be looking ahead. If we're not looking ahead, if we, can't, if we don't think that we have a future, then you really are old. <laughs> I mean, that's the definition of old age is when you can't think that you have a future. So if you don't want to be old, then think about your future. I'll just give that another little way to look at, think you're younger than you are, um, myself included. But we really have to understand what the future holds. And until I can understand the future, I, I don't have a real good grasp of my purpose. And we're going to be talking about that today. Um, you know, think about this. If if you are a planner type of a person, which I know there are people that are planners and some that maybe aren't planners, but if you're a planner, I think you'll appreciate what I'm going to say today. First of all, let me give you an example. We all plan for vacations, don't we? Do you plan ahead for vacations? Yeah, we do. We 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 do. We we have to plan. We have to think ahead. And typically, when we think about a vacation, one of the first th- things we think about is our destination. Where are we? Where do we want to go for our vacation this year? And, and then once we have a, a destination in mind, then we start thinking about some other things. Then we start thinking about our budget. Can we afford it? Can we afford to go where we want to go? And if it's going to stretch us, we don't wait until the day before we go to the vacation to pay start. Uh, paying for it. No, we, we sacrifice now. We start saving now if we have to, and we start putting some things off now to help us save so we have enough money to spend on our vacation. And then we think about, well, are we going to fly or are we going to drive? Or is it going to be a combination of both? I know Jackie loves to fly, so I, if, she, if it's in her mind, she's flying everywhere she can fly. That's just Jackie. <laughs> Sorry, Jack. But we think about our transportation. You know, then we have to think about, well, do, do, if we're going to go someplace warm, do I need to buy new clothes or cold? Do I need to buy new coats? I mean, if do I need to buy new skis if I'm going on a skiing vacation or for golf clubs, whatever. We think about those things in advance. If you have children, are you going to take your children? Or are you going to arrange babysitters? Or if you have pets, are you going to get a pet sitter? I mean, there's just a lot of things we think about as we plan for our vacation. And I, you know, and the list goes on and on. But, but the point is, we'll go to great lengths making plans that we want to do in this short life. But for some reason, we don't think it's important to make plans for eternity. For some reason, we think, well, eternity is just going to be okay, and I don't need to make plans for it. Does that make sense? I mean, think about it. Think about all the things we planned, our retirement, our 401ks. I'm going on Medicare. December, I'm on Medicare. Yahoo! Um, <laughs> I mean, that's one of the benefits of getting old, right? Is that I'm going to have some help with my insurance, and that's great. But, you know, if if we don't start thinking about our eternity, then are we really wise or are we foolish? And here's the thing, if you make it known that you're going to start thinking about eternity, and if you make it known to people that you're talking about the end times, or you're talking about things, they, people kind of look at you cross-eyed and they say, be careful, be careful because you can get so heavenly minded you're of no earthly value. Be careful you don't think about that too much because if you think about heaven too much, then, then you won't do anything earthly. Well, can I tell you that as a lie from the pit of hell? Because if you really understand heaven, and if you really understand the economy of heaven, you'll understand how important it is to be earthly relevant. In fact, that's our one of our church models here. If you look in that sign that Jeannie painted up on our foyer, it says to be heavenly effective, you must be earthly relevant. 
To be heavenly effective, you must be earthly relevant. What does that mean? It means that if I'm going to have things laid up in heaven, that I'm going to have rewards, which we're going to talk about today. If I'm going to have rewards laid up in heaven, that I must be active today on earth, laying my treasures ahead. It's called planning. It's called being aware of what the future holds. And when the enemy steals that from you, he steals your hope. He steals your purpose. He steals your peace. Because all of a sudden you have no peace because you're so lonely, because you miss, maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you're losing lots of your friends. I don't know. But the thing is, if you don't have a hope for the future, then what do you have? Nothing. I can understand why people of the world are grumpy. I can understand why they go around mopey-faced all the time, because they have no hope, they have no purpose, they have no future. But we, as Christians, listen, if you're really a follower of Christ, then you should be the most joyful person on your block. You should be the one that has the, the biggest smile on your face. And that doesn't mean you deny your problems. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that we work through our problems with a joyful heart, because joy comes from the something this earth doesn't give us anyways. Our joy doesn't come from our circumstances. Our joy comes from our eternal promises that Jesus has for us in heaven. He's gone ahead, prepared a place for us, and he's coming back to get us. And he's coming back to take us home. And if that doesn't give you joy, then you're not thinking about it correctly. Okay, now I can preach. So the purpose of today's message is determining our final destination and then wisely working backwards in this life to be sure that we're okay with our consequences. So that we're going to be okay with it at the end. We're talking about godly judgments today that are coming to every person. And we don't like to think about judgments, do we? Judgments aren't one of our happier topics. But these judgments that are coming are unavoidable, and they are without negotiation. Every person will face these judgments, so I think it's wise of us to talk about them. There are three judgments that are relevant to every person. And until we understand them, we are at risk of being included in the wrong ones. And you'll understand what this means as we go through this. So I want to take the time this morning to read a rather lengthy portion of Scripture that will help us set the tone for the rest of the discussion talking about these eternal judgments. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, begin at verse 1, or you can read it on the, the screen with me here. Or you can take notes that I've handed out as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse, I'm sorry, chapter 5, begin at verse 1. In the, in the Living Bible, or in the NLT, it says this, For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave these, this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies... We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and we sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this. And as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. Do you understand what Paul's talking about here? Paul is describing, he's trying to make the point here that everything in life dies. Everything in this life, everything that we see, touch, and feel in this life will deteriorate and go away, including our bodies. Our bodies are dying. We are getting older and we're growing older and we can feel it. Amen? Anybody feel it with me here? Yeah. And, but yet, but yet we're going to be changed into inert, with eternal bodies, and those eternal bodies will never wear out, and they will never die. And he's also saying here that we are not to be suicidal. We're not to be looking to get out of this life prematurely. In other words, don't be so heavenly minded you have no earthly value from the negative perspective. 
we are to be living this life with as much joy, much purpose as we can, because we have a promise that is given to us by the Holy Spirit that there is more to come and it's going to be better. But we have to be patient as we're waiting for this new life. Let's continue on with what he says. Verse 6. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing, or by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal, listen, our goal is to please Him. For we, for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard. Did you hear me? Or did you read this? I didn't say it. Jesus, God's saying this. We work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. So here, so when we read God's word like this, how can we not be passionate about the future? You see, Paul Paul goes on here now to describe in the next few verses how to, how to encourage us to live a life for Christ, not for our own selfish desires. Because that's a real temptation that we all deal with. Let's continue. Verse 15. He died for everyone. He is Jesus. Jesus died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Let me stop here for a minute. We can spend a lot of time focusing on our past, good or bad, and get so so engrossed with ourselves, listen, that we few that we lose our future. We can live in the glory days. Or we can live in the days when we were evil. We can live in the days of our glory when we were good athletes and we had it all together and we were the stars and we were the you know the home heroes and all that stuff. And and be so engrossed in that. Or we can be living in our past sins thinking I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I'm a failure. I'm not worthy. God doesn't have any hope for me. Either way, we're missing the point. Do you understand me? Either way, we're missing the point because God has so much more in store for us if we would just receive it. So instead, we live, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. And at one time, Paul goes on, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. See, Paul was talking about when he was a Jew... I mean, a Pharisee, he persecuted Christ. He persecuted the Christians. He had a perspective of Jesus wrongly that the world has today as well. So Paul understands what it is to make a difference and how to make a change. And he says, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Amen. If you are in Christ, then recognize your old life is gone. And now you're the beginning. You're beginning to walk a whole new life with a whole new future. And that should give you a lot of encouragement. Let's pray about this for a minute. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we're talking about some pretty heavy things here, but at the same time, they're very joyful things. And I pray that our hearts would be in tune with you and what you want us to hear today and what, is, what you want us to learn and take away and meditate on and chew on for the rest of this week. I pray, God, that you would just uh, really teach us here of what is ahead, and to give us encouragement and give us joy and peace. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the context of this scripture, I want to talk about the future judgments that lie ahead to every man and person, woman, that have ever lived on the planet Earth. And no one, no one, no one will be exempt in this judgment. And again, the intention here is to motivate us toward living a life worthy today of pleasing the Lord. Amen. So there are three judgments. The first one being the most important, which will determine the other two you'll be part of. This first one is the most important. The first one says, will you be in heaven or will you be in hell? That's the first judgment. This is the most important one. 
because this one determines which ones, other ones you're going to be a part of. And, and in this one, this is a binary decision. There is no, there's no um, values here. You're not sometimes in heaven and sometimes in hell, or partly in heaven or partly in hell. No, you're one or the other, and there is no third choice. There is no other place to go. You're heaven or hell. And we have to recognize that. Too many churches don't like to admit that. Too many people don't want to acknowledge the fact that there's heaven and hell. And our eternal destination is one of the two. So this first judgment takes place immediately after you take your last breath on earth. Immediately after you die, you will be judged as to whether you spend an eternity in heaven or hell. That's it. That's that fast. There's no purgatory. There's no time waiting. Um, by the time that your spirit hits that ceiling, you're either being welcomed by an angel taking you to heaven or a demon taking you to hell. It's that fast. You know, i got to tell you a little story. My dad... Um, when he passed away, um, he had pulmonary fibrosis, and um, he died. Um, my mom was there. My mom was trying to help him off a chair, and my dad, my, this is my mom's story. She was helping him up, and he was, and all of a sudden, he just looked up, and, and he looked up, and he raised his hand, and then he laid his head on my mom's shoulder and died. That was it. I believe what he saw was a heavenly angel coming to take him home. And he looked up, and he just raised his hand, and he put his head on my mom's shoulder and passed away. How peaceful is that? My mom, when she called me and said, hey, your dad's passing, because there was a phone right there. And I, when I got down to the, because we were just up on the hill, I just got down like a minute later, and she was singing Amazing Grace. How powerful is that? That's the hope that we have. We have no reason to fear death. We have no reason to fear our future. Because when our, hands, when, our, when our hand is in God's hand, he'll take us home. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. So the Bible says there is one way to salvation, and any other way is not true salvation. And I want to read you some scriptures. So a person like this, will spend in heaven if, John 6, 44, no one can come to, the, come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on that last day. Some promises for us. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. And there are many, many other scriptures that we could reference today if we wanted to spend a few hours doing that. But there's also the other aspect we need to look at. And there are also many scriptures that talk about a person's eternal plight if they reject Christ. You see, Jesus talks and describes hell more than any person in the Bible. Did you know that? Jesus described hell in great detail. And he talked about hell more than any other writer in the Bible. Why would Jesus talk about hell when he's all about heaven? Jesus has to talk about hell because it is the fate that awaits all people that reject him. Because we're all guilty and we deserve God's eternal punishment in our own self. Hell is our default destination and we need to be rescued. That's why Jesus had to talk about hell, so that he could be the rescuer from hell. Amen? So here's some verses to consider. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We could preach a whole sermon right there on that one. The wages of sin is death. Wages are what you deserve. You earn your wages. A gift is given to you without you deserving it. You earn death, but Jesus gives the gift of eternal life. Psalms 145.20, The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. John 3.36, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. You know what I like? You know, what, you know what that's, what's important about that verse? Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, 
But whoever does not obey the Son, there's action here. There's action. If you love Jesus, the Bible says, you will obey him. If you love me, Jesus says, you will do what I say. Not just acknowledge who I am, but to do what I say. And with that, you'll have eternal life. But the wrath of God remains on those that just claim, I know Jesus, but I don't obey him. Boy, there's some truth in that one. Amen. Romans 2, 5 through 8. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Man, think about that. You are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. God's not choosing to give you wrath. You're choosing to receive wrath because you're storing it up for yourself. Verse 6, God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. So I hope you can see how clear the distinction is. There's no middle ground here. There's no gray area here. The point is, the initial judgment, as with the others that we're talking about, are unavoidable and non-negotiable. And God is the judge, and based upon the choice that we make to accept Christ or not accept Christ, is where we spend eternity, and it's our choice. It's not God's plan. It's our choice. You have to recognize the power of choice. We're made in the image of God, and in the image, image of God we're created, male and female, right? God's image has choice, power to choose, and he's given that to us. And with that comes great responsibilities because every person will spend one eternity where? In heaven or hell. Okay, we have to determine that. The rest of the passage now talks about the judgments that have come to other people, depending on what decision you've made. And I tell you, I think many people have the misconception that Christians will be judged. Many people have the misconception that Christians will be judged. Do you know that you'll be judged? As a believer of God, you'll be judged? We need to to understand that. So the two remaining judgments are determined by the first judgment. And the judgments I'm going to talk about right now are two separate and distinct judgments one for Christians and one for non-Christians. So for Christians, the judgment that we're going to have is the judgment seat of Christ or the Bema seat judgment. And that's going to happen during the tribulation, after the rapture, when we're in heaven for those seven years will be the initial judgment seat, the Bema seat of Christ. That's the judgment of believers. And we're going to talk about this in more detail. For non-Christians, there's going to be another judgment, and that's called the great white throne judgment. And that's going to be for all unbelievers. And we'll talk more about that as well. But let's talk about the judgment seat of Christ, or the Bema seat judgment. What is the Bema seat? Well, the Bema seat is really a historic seat of judgment. That goes back to the Roman and Greek days. The Bema seat was an area, was a a elevated platform used as an orator's podium in ancient Greek, in Athens. And the term can also be used to describe a raised area in a sanctuary, like in a Jewish synagogue, where the orator would get up and read from the Torah, or read from the Old Testament. Really, this is a place of, this is a place where a judgment is rendered, or a reward is given. That's what the Bema Seed is. Understand that, first of all, this is not a judgment of sin. This is not a judgment of punishment. It has nothing to do with punishment. For the fact that you're standing before the Bema Seat means that you've already been forgiven of all your sins. You're in heaven. You are no you are no longer able to sin because you are in your eternal body and now you are in heaven and now you're not being judged for sins. This is not a a judgment or a punishment, but this is a time of being judged for rewards. So what are we being judged for? The purpose of the Bema Seat is to make a public declaration of the individual character of a person 
and the and, and we're going to be judged for the works of the believer that we are bringing into judgment. Let me let me under, let me talk about this a little bit more because we 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 have a hard time understanding that a Christian has to work. When we talk about works, we ought, people some people automatically go to the fact that we're working for our salvation. No, no, we have to recognize what we're doing. We're not working for our salvation. We're working as a result of our salvation. And then after we're saved as a free gift of God so that no man can boast, which we've already read about, now once we have that salvation, now it's time to go to work. Now it's time to earn our rewards. Now it's time to win others to Christ. We have a responsibility to do that now after we're saved. Because there's going to be a judgment for the believer. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. This is written to the church. Paul says, For we must all stand before Christ, talking about Christians, we must all stand before Christ to be judged and have our lives laid bare before him. Each of us will receive what he deserves for the good or bad things he has done in his earthly body. We will receive a reward or lose a reward for everything that we've done, whether good or bad. See, the reality is, guys, we do things every day, some of them eternally beneficial and some of them not. Because even if our works are morally pure, listen, even if it's not a sinful thing, even if it's morally pure, it may not have an eternal benefit. What am I talking about? Let me give you an example. The best way I can tell you is to give you an example. I like to play golf. And I enjoy a good golf game. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with me going out in a golf course and enjoying a good game of golf. But even though I do, there can come a time that it offers no eternal benefit to me. Do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, I can play golf, but it has no benefit. God doesn't, he's not going to ask me when I get to heaven, hey, what was your best score? You know, what was your, what was your handicap? You know, because that's not going to get me to heaven. And it's not going to keep me out of heaven. It's just one of those things that I can do. It's not morally right or wrong. It's, it's neutral. It's not a wrong thing to do. But there can be times, however, that playing golf can be wrong. And in fact, it can be taken away from my eternal rewards, even though it's morally okay to do. Let me take it a step further. You see, I can justify my time on the golf course as golf course evangelism. Right. Come on. I, and Because I'm building relationship with men. I, I want to build a, rela- a rapport with them so that I can win them to Christ. And, you know, there are times that it's happened. There are times that it has happened. I, I have sp- spent time on the golf course with men, and we have prayed. In fact, I prayed on the ninth hole at the Belvedere with a guy a couple years ago for salvation. And, and you know, we talk every time I see him, we talk about that. But there are other times, though, that it may not be so true. That, that even though this, this time of morally pure fun, it might be taken away from the things I really should be doing that really will have a consequence later for me. And Paul deals with this in a letter to the Corinthian church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 through 15, we're going to unveil some things here that we all need to be concerned about. He says, beginning at verse 10, God in his kindness has taught me how to be an expert builder. I have laid the foundation and Apollos has built on it. But he who builds on the foundation must be very careful And no one can ever lay any other real foundation other than the one that we've already have, and that's Jesus Christ. And here he goes. But there are various kinds of materials that one can be used to build on that foundation. Some use gold and silver and jewels, and some build it with sticks and hay or even straw. There's going to come a time of testing at Christ's judgment day, that's the Bema seat, to see what kind of material each person has used. Everyone's work will be put through the fire so that all can see whether or not it keeps its value and what was really accomplished. Then every workman who has built on the foundation with the right materials and whose work still stands will get his pay. But if the house he has built burns up, he will have great loss. He himself will be saved, but like a man escaping through a wall of flames." 
Boy, there's a lot here to talk about. Author and Bible scholar Arthur Pink says this in his book, The Redeemer's Return. He says, gold, silver, precious stones are of intrinsic value, whereas wood, hay, stubble are a natural growth. What he's saying here is that when I build with gold, silver, and precious stones, they are of eternal value. But the things that are wood, hay, and stubble, they're the things that come out of my fleshly man. And those things won't stand the test, the fiery test of God's test. God will reward the work done that has eternally heavenly motivational sources. In other words, the works that are done because God is leading me to do them with the right heart are the ones that will last. Whereas the ones that I do of my own self, Kathy was talking about that a little bit in the prayer time. Sometimes when we think about things, is it God or is it Kathy? Is it God or is it Mike? Yeah, I need to understand. I need to discern what's motivating me, who's telling me what to do. And we need to have godly discernment because what godly discernment says is that when the Holy Spirit inspires you to do something, there will be eternal rewards. Whereas if it's Mike telling me to do something, not so much. Does that make sense? So going back to my example of my golf game, because I'm kind of being vulnerable here, I may be able to use my justification of being a golf course evangelist to convince my wife, Chris, I need to go golfing today. In fact, I might even be able to convince my board. To, you know, instead of being in the work in my office, I'm golfing because you know because I'm doing all these things for God. I can convince people of the things that I want to do, and I can be pretty manipulative about it. But I'll never be able to fool God. I'll never be able to pull one over on Him. While it's possible to hide the true quality of my work for Christ's service here on earth to people, there's coming a time when it will all openly be displayed before God at the Bema seat, and he will understand my motivations. And he'll understand why did I do what I didn't did I do and why didn't I do what I didn't do. And I'll be rewarded or I'll be unrewarded appropriately. So what are the results of the Bema Seat? Well, the, ball, the results of this judgment are twofold. Number one, a, re, a reward will be received. Or number two, a reward lost. You know, if I, if I do things here at the expense of something else, it may not, may not seem like a big deal in the moment. But when I look at eternity perspective, I need to be really careful how I spend my time. Can I say that our time is our most valuable asset? If I lose money, I can find a way to make more money. But I have no way to make up lost time. My salvation isn't at stake. I'm already saved. I'm already in heaven. So that's not the consequence we're talking about. We're talking about rewards. What are these rewards? I have no idea. I can't tell you what your reward's going to be or what it's not going to be, but I can tell you this much. You're going to really want it. (laughs) It's really going to be good. If God's going to reward you, it's going to be beyond what you can imagine. And so when you get that reward, you're going to be so blessed Because God is giving you a reward of your faithfulness here. And it may be in the littlest thing that you've done. You've given a cup of cold water to someone. You did something that you didn't even think God was watching. And he says, I saw that. I saw when you did that. I saw when you did that. And here's a reward for it. You're going to say, seriously? You're going to do this for me when I just did that little thing? Yeah, that's God's economy system. That's what he's going to do. He's going to bless you so much over than what you can even imagine. And so when I look at rewards that, in that perspective, think of the rewards I'm not going to get because I wasn't faithful enough down here. You know, when I see, and I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know if God's going to, you know, if I'm going to see, um, you know, just a room of rewards of ones that I'm going to get and ones that I'm not going to get. I don't know. All I know is that there is going to be an opportunity for me to be rewarded 
and not rewarded. And I hope that that can um, help us get some motivation to do the things now in life that will give us the rewards that we truly desire. I hope that helps. He says in 1 Corinthians 3.15 that we've read, but if the house has built up, or I'm sorry, but if the, but if the house he has burns up, he will have great loss. He himself will be saved, but like a man escaping through the wall of flames. And, and let me give a warning here, because some people will say, well, that's okay. I'll get in with the minimum. I just want to sneak in. You know, there's a song, I'd rather be a gatekeeper in the house of the Lord, but something like that. That's a, that's a really dangerous song. Because we can't have that perspective. If we think we're just going to skate in and just do the minimal amount here, can I say that's really a dangerous position to take? Because maybe you're not going to skate fast enough. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe your skate's not going to be good enough. You, you, you can't take that perspective. That's not the reason that he gave us this verse. So that we could just do the minimal amount and still make it in. No, we need to be like Paul. And we need to be like Paul did in Second Timothy chapter 4. And I really like chapter Second Timothy because this is Paul's last letter that he gave to Timothy, his son. And this is getting to the end of his life. And this is the way Paul entered his, his, his death. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. He says, I have fought the fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. In other words, I've given it all. In fact, just a verse earlier in verse 6, I have pour, I've been poured out like a drink offering. In other words, Paul has given it all. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all those who have longed for his appearing. That's the attitude we need to be living in life here. We need to be going through life so that we're going to be barging through heaven. <laughs> when, when our time comes, we're not just going to sneak in. We're going to come in with a fanfare. We're going to come in and knock some people over because we've been running so fast on here. It's, Get out of my way. I'm coming in. That's the kind of attitude we need to have. That's the joyful heart that we can have. There's another judgment, however, that's coming that also is unavoidable, and that's the great white throne judgment. And now we need to spend some time on the other side of it. This is found in the book of Revelation, chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and the death and Hades gave up the dead that were in, in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown in, into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now this is the third judgment that we were, t that we're talking about today. This is not a judgment for believers. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, and if you're in heaven... Uh, you will not, this is not something you're to be concerned about, but it's for those that reject Christ, this will be the great white throne judgment at the end of all time. When does this take place? This takes place at the end of the thousand year millennial reign. After Christ, after we've had a thousand years of perfect living with Christ that we've been talking about the last few weeks, after Satan has been released from his um, the abyss for the for that he's been in it for a thousand years. He's available. To, he comes out and he deceives billions of people. He goes through the world and he deceives billions of people that are going to reject Christ at the end of the millennial reign. And what is the result of the great white throne judgment? Well, the person standing before God here at this time is being judged for their sin. They're being judged for their rebellion against him and they will be cast into the eternal lake of fire that has been, been prepared for Satan and all his demons. And Satan has already been there. We're told this in Revelation chapter 20, verse 7 and 10. When a thousand years are over, Satan will be released from prison. He will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand of the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had already been thrown. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So who will be judged in this? Every person 
that has rejected Christ from all eternity. Revelation 20, 12 to 13, and he says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. You see, this includes Cain, the first murderer, all the way through the last person that was destroyed at the end of the millennial reign. Every person that has ever lived on this earth that rejected Christ will have their moment before God. They will stand before him, and it doesn't make any difference how much money they had. There will be presidents of the United States there. There will be prime ministers of Europe there. There will be the kings. There will be the richest. There will be the poorest of all people will be on equal footing at the white, great white throne judgment, and they will be given an account of their life. What are they judged for? And I saw the dead, great and small, according to Romans chapter, uh, Revelation 20, 20, verse 12, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Now, I don't know what those books are, and I don't know what's going to be in those books, but I know that God is a great record keeper. If God can keep record of every time you give a glass of cold water to someone, he can keep record of every idle word you've spoken as well. Why is this necessary? Why is this judgment necessary? If people are already in hell, then why do they need to stand before God? Why do they need to stand before God? Because people that have been stubbornly living their life according to the things that they want to do with their own self-justifications... They need to see the result of their action. They need to be see that God is just. And God is not just an angry God. He is a just God. And he is giving them their due rewards, which is a punishment at this time. And it's, it's a result of the free will that people have in this life. They need to recognize that it's their choice that took them here. God didn't send them there. And so now these books that are opened are proof of their works. Because God's going to say, I recorded it here back in this date, back such and such and such. You rejected me here. You had opportunity to receive me here. You didn't. You had opportunity to do this there. You didn't. And he's going to, have, he's going to be recorded so that no man can argue with it. No man can justify himself because the, because the books are recorded. And therefore, it is a justification now that they are saying, they're going to have to say, yes, I deserve my punishment. I don't like it, but I deserve it. And it's, that's why God has to do it that way, because he is a fair and righteous judge. Right now, we think there's a lot of things in life that aren't fair. A lot of people aren't getting their just reward yet. And we can get anxious about that, can't we? But rest assured that God is just, and he will get the recompense that he needs and everyone will stand before God and get either their just reward or their just punishment based upon what they do in this life and no one escapes it. No matter how much money we have, no matter how good we think we are. Romans fourteen, ten, For we will all stand before God's judgment. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. So there's going to be three judgments. Jackie, would you come, please? There's going to be three judgments. One, immediately after our death, which will, is the most important one. You need, to be, you need to be really concerned about that one, heaven or hell. And then there's going to be the Bema Seat, which is a judgment of rewards. And there's going to be the Great White Throne Judgment, which is going to be a judgment of punishment. Why do we talk about this? Because today is the day that we can make the choice. Today is the day, whether you're sitting in here or you're watching online, whenever you watch this, if you listen to it or whatever, I hope you understand that you are in control of this. There are a lot of things in life we don't control. But this is the one thing that we do control. Whether you like to recognize it or not, this, you have a choice here. Do you receive Christ or not? Do you obey him? Do you live for him or not? You know, God cannot be mocked. 
Our creator God cannot be mocked. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, it says this. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. I mean, a man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I want you to be encouraged today. I don't want you to leave here like you're a loser. You're not a loser. You're loved by God. And God wants the best for you. And if you are a believer today and you're tired, let me encourage you to not give up. Persevere. Hold on to the end. No matter what it feels like, no matter how difficult it is, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest. Amen. Do you want a harvest? Then live your life for Jesus today and don't give up. Don't let the enemy rob your joy. Don't let him steal from you. Don't let him tell you that you don't have a future because you do. And as we hold firm and as we take every opportunity to do good to all people, we are laying ahead treasures and rewards of heavenly value that will last forever and ever and ever and ever. And just keep saying forever because that's just how far it is. But today's the day to decide. Pray with me, if you will. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, for your promises to us. Oh, God, we just come to you, Lord, with our hearts, and we just say, forgive us for the times that we failed you. First of all, Lord, let us make sure that we have the first judgment nailed down. Let us be sure, God, that we have come to you in our sin and said, forgive me, please forgive. I repent and I go the other way and I choose this day whom I will serve. And it's not Satan. It's not the demons of my flesh. It is, I'm going to put them, I'm going to bury them. I'm going to put them on the cross and I'm going to accept Jesus Christ, the forgiver of my sin. And I'm going to live for you tomorrow and the next day, and the next day. And I'm not going to weary in doing good because I'm going to determine that you're my Savior and I'm going to make you my Lord. And with that, Father, then I have to, I, have, I can look forward to that beam of seed judgment with great opportunity, with great, with great joy, with great anticipation. Yeah, Lord, I'm sure I'm not going to get every reward that was available, but God, I'm going to get a lot of them. I want to get as many as I can. So I want to live a life pleasing to you this morning and this day through my life. That's my prayer. Is it your prayer this morning? If it's your prayer, would you stand up with me? Would you stand up with me? And let's just sing the song that Tom and Jackie are playing. And let's just worship as we go out today. And let's recognize the hope we have ahead of us. Amen.
Father, I pray that that really is a prayer, is a song we can sing and mean. That we would really know what the words mean. That you really are truly worthy and we'll live for you. We'll put away everything that's not and live for you. God, I pray that with that we could enjoy life. We can enjoy the pleasures you've given us. We can enjoy, God, this beautiful world you've given us. We don't have to let it go to the enemy. We don't have to surrender it. We can claim it, but we can also use it for your glory. And we can live in it, and we can enjoy it, and we can then look forward to eternal life, which will be so much better. So, God, I pray that you give us that heart, that heart that sees things beyond what we can see in our mind. Give us the faith to believe. Father, for the healings today that we prayed for. God, and for the future that we all have today. I pray, God, you would let it sink in and let us go with great hope and anticipation throughout this week. And let this message sink in and just go with us as we go to our homes, go to our places today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.